Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 163. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. This week again, we're brought to you by the educational role-playing story writing game for kids, Happy Birthday Robot, which is doing a promotional for the month of May. Every pre-order of the game that they sell helps game designer Daniel Solis and his team send copies to libraries, low-income schools, and after-school programs. I've yammered on enough about the game myself. I figured at this point we should go ahead and demonstrate it. I called our team of shabby, good-for-nothing editors for a little spin at the game to give you folks at home a sense of how or perhaps how not to play the game. Turns out that Happy Birthday Robot is also a pretty damn good drinking game. We were up till 2 a.m. with it. One of the basic tenets of the game that you should probably be aware of is that each turn, players roll a number of dice, which have sides, either ands, which go to the player to your right, buts, which go to the player on your left, and blanks, which are the best to get because you get to keep them, free words for you to use in the story. After you add to the story, the ands and buts get to add words based on how many dice they've accumulated. We used catchyourhair.com forward slash dice roller to interact with dice online. Our story turns out pretty interesting and vividly brings to light a national conspiracy. But if you're totally not interested and just want to hear some damn good short fiction, click ahead if you get our show in enhanced format. Or fast forward to about 8 minutes 30 seconds. Here goes. Alright, so I'm here with uh, our two no good for nothing Drabblecast editors, Kendall and Luke. How are you guys doing? Hey, hey, ready to play some uh, Happy Birthday Robot. Me too. Yeah, yeah, me too. All right, so I'm going to start off as the storyteller here, and uh, I will roll my... How, hey, how come you get to be the storyteller? Well, you can you can be the storyteller if you want, Luke. I mean, if you want to cosplay. No, that's story. okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to be the storyteller. But... All right, I just rolled. And I got, a, uh, I got a blank, which I get to keep, and Kendall here gets this and... And Luke here gets this, but, as is generally the case, roll again. Nice. How many times are you going to roll, Norm? Well, until one of you guys gets four, I think, is according to the rules. Or I could stop now. I think I want to take my chances. Wow. So the, the psychology of this is just really intriguing. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Okay. So what we ended up with after the roll, I have four blanks. Luke has two butts, and uh, Kendall has three ands. I'm going to start the sentence off. I, robot is a uh, free word, from what I understand. And so we have uh, robot finds a human finger. So that's your your words. That's that's my words right there. And so then I think. Uh, Kendall, you get to go, and add, and you have three ands, so you get to, uh, and is a free word three for words. you. Yeah, so you All get right. to put and if you want for free, but you get to add three words to that. And proceeds too much. <laughs> proceeds too much. Excellent. And Luke, I believe you get to add two words, but being a free word if you'd like to add that as well. All right, hold up now. Kendall went too quickly. No, I don't. So let's review the sentence again. Robot finds a human finger and proceeds to munch. And I, I can rearrange the sentence however I wish. Uh, yes. Or I can only insert. You can insert, I think. I don't think you can rearrange. Okay. So I have two words and, and a but if I want. 
can clearly see which uh, Drabblecast editor has the most creativity. <laughs> He's just deep in thought. Robot finds a human finger and proceeds to munch. Slowly, comma, wistfully. <laughs> Blissfully or... <laughs> no, no, wist, wistfully. Oh, wistfully. <laughs> Oh, God. I thought you said list, listlessly at first. <laughs> oh, that would have been good, too, but I can't. So then from what I, I guess, Kendall, am I right in saying that these blanks turn into coins now, heads coins? Yeah, no, you get four heads, Norm. Can I just hold on to them? And then... Oh, it actually says you may give coins away anytime. The current storyteller may also ask for some coins, but it's up to you to decide whether you want to give them away. Ah, no, I'm not giving you bitches any of my coins. Like, for instance, uh, Kendall's an ideas man. We all know this. <laughs> and if he has, like, a really good idea uh, and he just needs another word, he can say, Norm, please can I have head from you? Exactly. All right, so now what happens? Now it's your turn, Luke. You get to be the storyteller. So does Luke speak, keep building on that sentence? No, it's next or, sentence. Uh, all right, where here we go. Big money, no whammies. Oh, shit. Happened. Big likes, boys. I'm not oh, making wow. this up. Yeah, that, that just happened. <laughs> that just that happened. happened, and you guys were there. Something, <laughs> that's something you can tell your kids about. Well, I think I'm just going to stop right there. Of course, now I have way too many words to deal with. But You can just be very verbose. Loquacious. Robot ponders his first taste of fingers. So, so I'm the ends, right? You're the ends, and I'm the butts. All right, so I've only got three words here that I can do, so I'm going to put in... Uh... I can't wait to be storyteller. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had more words. All right, I got it, I got it. Robot, robot ponders his first taste of fingers back in Nam. <laughs> back in Nam, nice. Hey, where, where the... Oh, there's my H's. I thought somebody took my coins. <laughs> My coins! <laughs> a couple drinks and a mythical flesh-eating Wendigo later, we had our story. So, why don't you read the whole thing? All right, here we go. Uh, but you get to, you're, you're the voice of the, uh, the Wendigo. All right. Captor. All right. Robot's Choice by Norm, Luke, and Kendall. Robot finds a human finger and proceeds to munch slowly, wistfully. Robot ponders his first taste of fingers back in Nam, remembering their peculiarity. Raw Vietnamese fingers smelled like nascent young infant feces, but tasted like heaven. Impetuously, the voracious predatory robot leapt forward, crying, Please, more fingers. Robot's Vietnamese Wendigo captor opened his finger bag. Ro robot, you want tasty fingers? Robot peeked at the dookie delicious fingers and steeled himself to accept the nefarious offer. You right, neonate-scented phalanges, robot? Do you not? Said the robot-napping Vietnamese Wendigo terrorist miscreant. God damn your delicious fingers. And god damn free will. I will assassinate President Kennedy. 
but vengeance will be mine. Dolefully, Robot clutched the blood-soaked finger bag and flew away. Happy birthday, Robot. So there was a second shooter. Mmm, fingers. Pre-order a copy at www.danielsolis.com forward slash happy birthday robot, which you'll find in our show notes. It's a lot of fun. Drabble time. Drabble. Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words, no more, no less. Send yours into drabblecast at yahoo.com. This week's Drabble is called Special Delivery, and it comes to us from Diane Elliott. Diane lives in New Waterford, Ohio, with her wonderful family, which consists of her husband, two dogs, a cat, a bird, and a rat. She works as a private duty pediatric nurse. Although she's written strange stories all her life, she's never attempted to have anything published, content to read the odd piece to family members, making this her first published piece. The rain is cold tonight. Freezing water bites into exposed flesh. Every creature in the vicinity has come seeking shelter beneath or upon my porch. Some perch on the railing below the eaves. Red or yellow-eyed, winged, horned, or fanged, they hiss and snap at each other, vying for a bit of dry space. There is hardly room to accommodate them all. Watching from my window, I make a phone call as they gather. I hope the pizza delivery boy is plump and that I don't have to order Chinese, too. Their boys tend to be thin and stringy. Avoid the Noid, monsters. You're just asking for indigestion. Go with Papa John. Mythical cannibalistic Wendigo prison guards. Horned, yellow-eyed creatures hissing in the rain. You'll find that we have a theme to this week's show. The monster outside. So their civilization, the comfortable space inside, the safe zone, as it were, that which we can wrap our heads around. And then there's the wild, the primordial, the unknown, the unpredictable, the outside. Things happen out there that we don't fully understand, that we can only catch glimpses of. The problem is that we humans are OCD about taxonomy, are we not? Taxis, meaning order, arrangement, and nomos, laws, or science. We've got to make sense of the things that go bump in the night, or at least order pizza for them. Which leads us into this week's story, Once a Month on a Sunday by Ian McHugh. Mr. McHugh is a graduate of Clarion West and a grand prize winner in the Writers of the Future contest. His stories have appeared in markets such as Asimov's, Beneath Ceaseless Skies, and Clockwork Phoenix 2. Most of his past publications can be found free to read or hear online by going to ianmchugh.wordpress.com. Once a Month on a Sunday was first published in issue 40 of Andromeda Spaceway's In Flight magazine and won the 2009 Arialis Award for Best Fantasy Short Story. It was inspired by the children's picture book Lizzie Nonsense by Jan Omerond and has been published with her blessing. 
This is Ian's second story to be podcast at the Drabblecast, the first being the Alchemical Automaton Blues, back in episode 107. The story is read to you by Emma Lee Yitt, and this is her first podcast reading. So, without further ado, Once a Month on a Sunday, by Ian McHugh. Once a month, on a Sunday, Mum and me and my little brother Zubby would dress up in our best clothes. Mum would put ribbons in my hair and we'd all walk into town to go to church. On Sunday when my bubble was home, Mum would sing while she helped us dress and brushed our hair. She'd tell stories while we walked along the track and Zubby rode in his pram. And she'd let us run ahead when Zubby got bored of riding. She wouldn't care if we strayed from the path, except for the part where the gamble gam was where we needed to stay close. She wouldn't even mind if we dirtied our hands and clothes before we reached church. But my Baba had been away now for three months, a lot longer than he was usually out on the road. Mum was in a foul mood. She growled and snapped while she got us ready. My scalp stung as she pulled my hair tight to plait it. I bit my lip and stayed silent, but Zubby cried when Mum brushed his hair, which just made her growl more. Zubair, stay still! The only thing to do when mum was like this was to be quiet and stay out of her way. But her temper made me nervous, and that made me clumsy. Pulling my dress on over my head, I knocked the water basin from the kitchen table. Mum jumped as water splashed over her skirts. Olivia! Green Christ above, girl, look what you've done! Aside from the mess, she hadn't washed herself yet. I'll fetch more, I said quickly, and fled before she sent me on my way with a slap. I dashed out the door and into the lean-to shed out the back. Zubby screamed louder all of a sudden. I guessed he'd got the slap instead. I tipped the lid off the big wire cage on the bench near the front of the shed and rummaged around in the wool and straw inside until I caught a mouse. It squirmed, warm and helpless in my fingers. I grabbed the water bucket and ran down the stepping stone path to the creek. The tin bucket bumped against the side of my calf. My plaited hair slapped against my shoulder blades. I slowed once the house was lost from sight behind the Banksia shrubs. The Banksia's flowers had already dried out, losing their bright red colour. They sat along the branches like so many tiny brown owls. A lizard scuttled away from the path. Up in the trees, a magpie cleared its throat but didn't sing. The bush was stuffy and hot after the cool of the house. The temperature dropped a little going down the slope to the creek. I walked across the top of my shadow when it balked, not wanting to lie itself across the water. I stopped on the wide pale stone beside the bank. Baba had chiseled the Arabic word mar into it, which meant water, and some other words that he wouldn't say aloud. The mouse lay still in my hand. Its heartbeat tickled my palm. The creek was still full of winter rain, but moving slowly, brown with dirt. 
I held up my fist with the mouse's tail hanging out the back and its nose poking between my first finger and thumb. Shukran, Jazzylan, I whispered like Baba told me to. It meant thank you. I tossed the mouse underarm out over the water. Its legs spread out stiffly around it, ready to land. A long tongue of water shot up from the surface of the creek and snapped the mouse out of the air. The tongue thickened out. It swayed in front of me, taller than I was. Odd lumps and tentacles bulged from the bunyip's sides and disappeared again. I watched a dark spot flow down its middle and disappear into the creek. The bunyip looked back at me, even though it didn't have eyes. I could feel my shadow tugging at my heels, wanting me to come away. I ignored it. I wasn't in any danger. Hello, Bunyip, I said. Bubba had told me there was no point in talking to the land streamings, but I always spoke to the Bunyip anyway. I'd like some water, please. May I? It didn't answer, of course. Crouched at the front edge of Bubba's water stone and lowered the bucket into the creek. The Bunyip stayed where it was, watching. A tentacle came out of it towards me, but it didn't grow far. I heaved the full bucket up out of the creek and turned to go. Goodbye, Bunyip. It had already sunk down into the creek when I looked back over my shoulder. Back at the house, I played clapping games with Zubby, sitting out of the way on Mum and Bubba's bed, while Mum finished getting herself ready. Then we set out. She put Zubby into the pram, although he wanted to run, and made me walk along beside. The weather was turning cloudy. It didn't look like rain coming, but it was enough to stop the day from getting really hot. Walking along, just the three of us, I could nearly forget that Baba had been away so long. He never came to church with us, even when he wasn't out on the road. Church wasn't Baba's religion. He didn't follow the green Christ or even Christ the Lamb. Baba followed the last prophet instead and did his praying at sunrise, noon and sunset every day, wherever he laid out his mat. Baba made his living going around to the towns and the squatters' homesteads and fixing up all the old runeworks with his Arabic letters. People didn't mind that he followed the last prophet, because he always did right by them. Really, Zubby and me followed the last prophet too, because Baba did. When he was home, he read us stories from the prophet's book. He didn't mind us going to church though, because the God of the Green Christ and the God of the Last Prophet were really the same. The Christ and the Prophet just had different ways of teaching his lessons. We came to the kink in the track around the Gamblegam's place. Bubba had laid sleepers into the ground around that part and had used an iron to burn his letters into the wood. The Gamblegam's place is hard to pick out, not like a willy-willy that twists up all the trees. It can reach chasing possums and koalas. You mostly won't know a gambelgam's there until you hear it sing. Your shadow will have heard it first, but won't be able to warn you that there's a dreaming ahead. And once that happens, it's probably got you, unless you've got some good warding under your shoes. I could hear its song over the rattle of Zubby's pram, bumping over the sleepers. It sounded like wind and fire and grinding rocks. 
It'd take your shadow and soul away to the red heart of the land if you let it, Baba said. Mum's knuckles were white, holding my hand against the handle of Zubby's pram. Mum didn't need to be so scared. As long as we stayed on the path that Baba made, the Gamble Gam's voice had no power. I wasn't going to run away from the path. Our shadows could hear the song, but because of Baba's warding, weren't caught by it. They stretched themselves far out to the side, away from the Gamble Gam. Baba had taken me off the logs once, and held me just beyond where the Gamble Gam could come out and get us. So its voice would fill up my head and I'd know the red heart for myself. I'd gone to the place where Baba said the dreamings are born and watched the shadows dance red on stone. Once we got past the Gamble Gam, Mum calmed a bit. She let Zobby out of the pram although she wouldn't let us wander far. The day stayed just warm because of the clouds, but I was still thirsty by the time we crossed over the runestone labyrinth that guarded the road into town. Mum dug a tin cup out from the bottom of the pram, and we took turns to drink from the pump at the horse trough outside the pub. She straightened our clothes and retied my ribbons and felt around the edges of her hair. Then we walked the rest of the way to the church in the middle of town. The yew tree outside the church's western door looked sadder every month. Half its branches were dead and bare of leaves. We walked around the curved wall of the church to the southern door. Father Henrik waited for us in the shade of the oak tree there. Good day, Alice, children, he said. Father Henrik had an accent, the way Baba did, but different from Baba's. Both of them mixed up their A and E and O sounds, but Baba made it sound nice along with the way he growled out his H's. Father Henrik just sounded funny. Mum said Father Henrik was Dutch. Mum bowed her head. I did too. Father, said Mum. I'm pleased to see you, Father Henrik added. He was very tall and thin, with wet-looking eyes and a big Adam's apple. You should really come more than once a month. He always said the same. Mum always answered the same too. It's a long walk with the children. Father Henrik put a hand on Zubby's head. It is particularly important for the children. Mum tried to smile, even though she wasn't happy, and said, Faris will make enough one day to buy me a horse and buggy. Then I'll be able to come more often. Father Henrik's face got all tight and serious. May I speak with you for a moment? Mum's face got tight too and shuddered up the way it did when she had to talk to the ladies she didn't like in town. Look after your brother, she said to me. They walked back over towards the yew tree. Zubby stuck out his bottom lip thinking about crying. I caught his fingers and held on just tight enough that he could spill pull them free. He laughed and I held out my hand to play trap hands. I watched Mum and Father Henrik talking. He looked like he was asking her something. Mum had her arms folded in front of her. Father Henrik pointed towards me and Zubby, and they both looked. I turned quickly away. People from the town were going into the church. They looked at me and Zubby too, and at Mum and Father Henrik. Mum was still unhappy when we finally went inside the church. She kept starting to sing and stopping partway through the hymns. Father Henrik didn't try to talk to her again. A few people said hello to Mum, but only looked sideways at me and Zubby. Mrs. Kewell from the post office looked like she wanted to talk more, 
but the look mum gave her killed whatever word she had before they got out of her mouth. We didn't stop at anyone's house for tea, which we sometimes did. My tummy growled on the walk home, and Zubby complained about being hungry. When we get home, Zub, Mum said. Father Henrik doesn't like that Bubba follows the prophet and not the green Christ, does he? I said. For a moment, Mum looked like she was about to cry. She said, no love, he doesn't. You can run along and explore if you want. Come back before we get to the gamble gam. We got home in the middle of the afternoon. It was my job to fetch the water again. But I'm hungry, Mum, I said. You can eat when you get back, she said. She gave me the crust of yesterday's loaf to tide me over and told me to hurry up. She was trying hard, but I could tell she was still upset. Zabi started complaining again. I looked over my shoulder as I ran out the door. Mum was standing at the table with Zabi, going red in the face by her hip. She held onto the wood like she didn't know what her hands might do to him if she let go. Inside the lean-to, I reached up to shift the lid of the mouse cage. I stopped. The lid wasn't on straight. I felt like my insides had all fallen down from their proper places and landed on my bladder. I hadn't closed the cage properly that morning. I pushed the lid all the way off and pulled out the whole mess of wool and straw and dropped it on the ground. No mice scuttled out. For a minute I couldn't think what to do. I just stood there beside the empty cage, hoping Mum wouldn't come out the back door and see. I rubbed the tears out of my eyes, bent to pick up all the mouse bedding again and stuffed it back in the cage. I tore up my bread crust and sprinkled it on the cage, then left the lid just a little bit open. Hopefully when I came back I might have caught some mice again. I grabbed the bucket and ran off down the path. Baba dipped for water without needing a mouse. As long as I stood on his water stone, I'd be fine. Just this once. I felt less and less brave the closer I got to the creek. My shadow dragged at my feet. Bubba said dreamings couldn't recognise people. I thought Bubba was wrong. The Bunyip knew me. It would forgive me one mouse. But knowing about dreamings was Bubba's job. What if it was me that was wrong? I thought then that I should have brought a rope to hang the bucket from so I would have to put my hands near the water. But if I went back now and ran straight off again, Mum would wonder why and then she'd find out about the mice. stepped onto the water stone and waited. My shadow lay very still behind me. The bunyip didn't come up. I'm sorry, bunyip, I said, knowing that it must be in the creek, since it was part of the creek. All the mice got away. I haven't any to give you. The surface of the creek stayed flat. May I still dip for water? I edged up to the front of the stone and squatted down, watching for the bunyip, ready to leap backwards out of the way. I reached the bucket over the bank and dipped it in the water. The creek bulged, only a couple of feet away. A watery tentacle came up and reached towards the bucket. I froze. The tentacle stopped. Ever so slowly, I pushed the bucket under and pulled it back up full. Just as slowly, the bunyip stretched out its tentacle. The tip got wider and flatter. I lifted the bucket clear. 
the bunyip reached underneath to catch the drips that rained from its sides. I stood up straight, the tentacle lowered, and disappeared back into the creek. Thank you, bunyip. I laughed as I ran back up the path. I'd been right. I couldn't wait to tell Bubba. I stopped by the lean-to before I went back into the house. Something rustled under the cotton and straw inside the mouse cage when I poked it, and I quickly put the lid all the way back on. Subby was happy, chattering to himself and chewing. His plate was piled with bread, cheese, pickles and salt pork. There was another full plate beside Zubby's for me. Mum sat across the table, one of my shirts in her lap staring off at nothing. A needle was pushed through it near the collar where she'd started fixing a tear. She was quiet all afternoon and through dinner. When it came to bedtime, she tried to tell us a story, but she kept stopping and forgetting where she was up to. She gave up as soon as Zubby fell asleep. I lay for a while, listening to her get herself ready for bed and thinking about what I'd done with the bunyip. Mom, when's Baba coming home? She didn't answer. I turned over to look at her. Mom? Her back was to me as she snuffed out the wick of the oil lamp. In the dark, I listened to the creak of her bed as she climbed in and the rustle of the sheets as she pulled them up. Then she lay so still and quiet that I could hardly hear her crying at all. our story. Hope you enjoyed it. When the ancient Greeks found the enormous skulls of elephants with the median nasal opening, they assumed that the skulls had to belong to a race of giants with single eye sockets. Hence the birth of the Cyclops myth. A lot of badass mythological creatures come from people trying to name and understand the monsters outside. Scientists, shamans, physicians, or little girls. We're all the same as we gaze at the natural world in awe, trying to make sense of the shapes and shadows that we see as we reluctantly dip our tin pails in the mysterious, swirling water. Speaking of mythological animals and mysterious creature phenomena, Balticon. I think I mentioned before in the podcast that I'm moderating a panel on the upcoming science fiction con here in Baltimore called Cryptozoology 101, a survey of creatures that probably don't exist. From the Goatman to the Mothman, Yeti to Yowie, Dodo to Ogopogo. From bloops to blobs, giant owls to lizardmen, chupacabras to Mongolian deathworms. From the foul-smelling skunk ape of the Florida Everglades to the brain-eating Nandi bears of Kenya, this course is a basic introduction to the study of absurd animals which purportedly exist based on the sightings and information gathered by stammering lunatics, drunken peasants, and other researchers in the field. 
That's going on Sunday, May 30th, and I'm involved in a number of other things that weekend, including performing Saturday and semi-inebriated adventures with editor Kendall and our artist Bo Kyer, and any others who can make it out. I'm pretty sure we're going to have a live show, recording a cool story I'm reading on Friday. That may even end up having a full cast if we can swing it. We'll see. Balticon's coming up, but it's not too late to make it. And it's also not too late to get a free me CD and a Drabblecast t-shirt by subscribing to our new $10 a month donation option, listed off of our main page, Drabblecast.org. We were throwing that offer out there to the first five who subscribed. Three folks have done so already. There are two Uno Dos slots left. If you appreciate all the hard work we do each week bringing you badass stories about God knows what, you could really do us a solid and jump up to the 10 bucks a month level. We also have a 5 bucks a month option, which would be grand as well, and a one-time donation option. Really, folks, we appreciate anything you can give, even if it's just a buck. Maybe you'll be our next kick-ass donor of the week. Like... Jonathan McNeil. Jonathan's a post-antidiluvian performance artist living in Raleigh, North Carolina. He currently makes his living inspecting computers so closely that he makes them feel uncomfortable. In his spare time, he posts too much on the Drabblecast forums and insists that you join him so that he can one day be a forum elder god, i.e. an old fart in forum terms. His blog is at trolljammies.blogspot.com and he goes by the name Dreamrock on Twitter if you're so inclined. Thanks, Jonathan. We appreciate all you do for us, including help us not be in the red. Yes, and Twitter. That's a segue handed over on a silver platter. Each week, of course, we pick a twobble, a story with exactly 100 characters total, as winner of our ongoing TwitFic contest. This week we had a special Mother's Day twobble category, and the winner, holding onto his twobble crown for the second week in a row, was Joshua Doach, or Nevermore66 as he goes by in our forums. And here's his story. Clutching flowers and hallmark card, Oedipus fingered empty ocular cavities in the blind dark. Worst holiday ever. Nice work, Josh. Folks at home, write one yourself. Post it in the TwitFix section of our forums. Creative writing couldn't be made easier. We even have a tool there to help you size your story to the right amount of characters. You have no excuse. But if you'd rather be audience than participants, we totally understand. You can follow the Drabblecast on Twitter and get the goods. Finally, special thanks to Caroline Parkinson, our rad episode artist this week. Another win. Caroline's worked as an art assistant for children's television, a screen printer, a cinema usher, and a life model. Her second job as a freelance illustrator has remained constant throughout these various career paths. She currently lives in Norwich, England, though she changes addresses far too often for someone who's only 28 years old. She also apparently makes a mean Victoria sponge. Check out her awesome sketch blog at carolineparkinson.blogspot.com. So, that's our show. It's produced, of course, with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means don't change it or sell it, but share it on the interwebs all you like. Blog about us if you're feeling particularly inspired. Write us a review on iTunes. Help us creep out more people who need creeping out. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you to close the mouse cage properly. 
Okay, so one more time. Vietnamese fingers smelled like... Like young infant feces. Wait, young infant? Are there old infants? <laughs> well, there are, there are varying levels of infants, for sure. I think this anyone who's ever smelled a young infant feces can, can separate the, the young from the uh, middling, if you will. <laughs> All right, I get to add my one lonely word. All right, Luke, Luke, you get to... Which is better, incipient or nascent? <laughs> nascent, for yeah, sure. Nascent, yeah, right. nascent for full, redundant uh, power. Yeah. I don't, think, I don't think you can do better than nascent. Nascent young infant? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, it's perfect. There we go. I'm done. That's it.